to another episode of Let's Talk Deer, brought to you by Grandpa Ray Outdoors, owned by Mr. John O'Brien. John's a Midwestern guy. He's around the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. He's been an agronomist uh, for over 29 years. So he knows seed, he knows soil, and he knows what white-tailed deer need. John has a large seed company, Grandpa Ray Outdoors, but also he's in educating. He's one of the best educators seminar, platform speaker, uh, communicator for soil, water, and cover. The soil brings the food, the water hydrates, and the cover keeps them safe. So that's what Whitetail needs. So any questions at all about seed, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Let's Talk Deer does receive compensation from Grandpa Ray Outdoors for mentioning him on my show to another episode of Let's Talk Deer, hosted by Bruce Hutchin. And I'm joined together by the editor of Bo- Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine, Christian Berg. Christian, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome uh, to you, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. We had a good I, time I always, over. Go yeah, ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I love to take an hour out of the coronavirus quarantine and spend it with <laughs> Me too. I, I don't get as much social interaction these days, so it's good to see somebody, even if it's only on a computer screen. Well, it's just great to visit, and, um, you know, you've got your pulse on the industry, and that's why I wanted to visit. And and originally, we talked about in Facebook Live, folks, if you haven't watched the video, you can go to Facebook Live, Bruce Hutchin, and, um, and listen to that. But in that, we really were talking about the future – what we thought to the future, you know, hunting this fall. And you said, hey, wait a minute, let's talk about right now. Let's talk about the opportunities available to people uh, in their own state uh, that are available right now. So let's start off right there with, you know, let's be some, give some people some positive inputs about, you know, what they can do right now because this show's going to air pretty much right around May 1st or so. And um, so let's share your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely, Bruce. You know, we we talked about in that Facebook Live the fact that obviously, you know, coronavirus and this quarantine, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, right, it's impacted our entire country and it's impacted every facet of American life. And unfortunately, as hunters and sportsmen, we have not been immune from that. And so if you are one of, you know, those hunters like I am, like that I know you are, Bruce, you know, we do a lot of hunting close to home, but we also tend to do a lot of traveling to hunt, whether it's to the state next door or even halfway across the country or farther. So, um, you know, the coronavirus has pretty well shut that down for this year, right? There's a lot of states that have canceled non-resident seasons. They're not selling non-resident spring tags. Uh, In the case of Canada, right, we've got a border closure. So if you had a bear hunt planned up there, that's not happening. So there's a lot of things that normally would be happening right now that aren't happening. And, you know, let's face it, it's disappointing, uh, depressing, whatever you want to say. But we don't want to focus on the negatives, right, Bruce? We want to focus on the positives because this whole quarantine thing is depressing enough as it is. (laughs) And so... We all need, you know, something to look forward to, something to feel good about, something that we can do that takes our mind off the stress and anxiety of the day to day and, you know, feels a little bit normal. And so, 
uh, for me, for you, for, for all of your listeners, I think the hunting opportunities that we have uh, right close to home are going to be more important than ever this spring and, and probably even this fall. Because, you know, for me, as I told you in the Facebook Live, what do I have this year? I'm, I'm not going to have a Florida trip that I would have had at the end of this month. I'm not going to have an Ohio trip that I would have had this weekend. I've got Pennsylvania turkey season coming up here in May, and that's all I have. So I'm either gonna hunt turkeys here in Pennsylvania as hard and as often as I can, or I'm not gonna hunt them anywhere. And so I can tell you that given the choice between those two things, I'm gonna hunt them hard and often here in Pennsylvania. And I, I can't wait for the season to open up because I know that there's birds in the area and I'm looking forward to chasing them. So yeah, I mean, I think that, um, Close to home hunting is going to be huge this year. And as people have more time on their hands, I think that this might be an opportunity. Um, you know, I was on Onyx Maps the other day, Bruce, just looking at some public hunting land that's not too far from home here and some other properties that are enrolled in public access programs. And maybe this is the year that I have the time and the interest in exploring some new ground and boy, wouldn't it be great to use part of the turkey season to not only hunt turkeys, but maybe do some scouting for the fall with whitetails in mind, maybe uh, finding some new areas, whether that be on public ground or public access ground, or even knocking on some doors and getting permission to hunt some new areas because I figure, hey, this might be the year that I'm gonna be do more hunting here in Pennsylvania throughout the fall than I might normally in a, in a quote unquote normal year. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to getting started now with the idea that I may need to sort of craft or forge a better reality for myself here close to home. I like that. And, and in our notes for, you know, when we're prepping for the podcast, we talked about the, uh, the three R's and one of the three R's, their retention, recruitment, and reactivation of hunters. And you made a point earlier that you had heard uh, from a friend uh, in the Pennsylvania DNR that their hunter safety course um, completions are up. So people are becoming hunters. And that goes on to the next step of, okay, all of a sudden we're in the coronavirus and I got to provide for my family. How do I do that? I can fish and I can hunt and I can trap. And, and get actually get food, process the food, and eat the food uh, that's available. And in-state hunt, hunting licenses and fishing licenses and trapping licenses are relatively inexpensive. So, you know, let's talk about that, about becoming prepared uh, to be a provider uh, from field to plate, if you will. Absolutely. You know, Bruce, I think that there's, you know, uh, it's like an onion, right? And there are several layers to the onion that we can peel back here about, you know, the impact that this is going to have on hunting as a whole. Um, so you talked about the three R's, right? Recruitment, retention, reactivation. And so from a recruitment standpoint, especially probably of, of younger hunters, which is critical because we've known for a lot of years, right, that as older folks are aging out of hunting, you know, we're not bringing enough younger folks to replace them. So in other words, there are more older hunters who sort of retire from the sport 
then there are younger hunters coming in. And that's why we've seen a, a, a long, slow, steady decline in overall hunting numbers uh, in America for the past you know, generation. So it's great to see as people are cooped up in their homes, you know, that the state agencies, I'm sure Pennsylvania isn't the only one that has made additional hunter safety classes available in an online format during this time. And so as Pennsylvania sees uh, actually a doubling of graduations at this time of year that they normally would see at this time of year. So uh, if other states are doing the same thing, that means we've got a bunch of people. And again, typically first time hunter safety participants tend to be those kids who are 12, 13, just eligible for their first hunting license. But you're gonna see some adults in there as well. So we've got this crop of people that are coming into hunting, whether that's because they're being mentored as a, as a young person by a, by a, a, a dad, an uncle, uh, a grandma, whatever, someone in their family or a friend who's bringing them in, or to your point, you know, and we talked a little bit about this on the Facebook Live, you look at what has happened in the world over the last month, six weeks, and we have seen situations where people have been told to pretty much lock down, right? You're confined to your property. You can only go out if you need food or medicine or medical care. And um, when you do go out for food, right? I don't know what it's been like in Colorado. I can tell you here in Pennsylvania, particularly early on in this thing, you'd go to the grocery store and in some of the shelves, there would be nothing but bare white metal because there was literally no stock on the shelves, right? The meat cases were completely empty. The dairy case was empty. The egg case was empty. The canned goods aisle was empty. The toilet paper, oh, the humanity, Bruce, the toilet paper, right? Who knew, whoever knew that <laughs> toilet paper was gonna be such a big deal. But the point is, right, if you didn't already have what you needed, you were kind of SOL, weren't you? You were either prepared or you were in trouble. And those were the two, right? There wasn't a whole lot of in-between. There was prepared, there was no in-between. There was in trouble, there was no in-between, you know? And if you had to wipe with something other than toilet paper, maybe you've got fewer t-shirts in your drawer today, Bruce, I don't know, but we don't need to go there. The point is, I think that there are a whole bunch of people out there who don't come from hunting families. They have never really thought about becoming a hunter from a recreational standpoint, but in the aftermath of what we've just been through, the idea of being a hunter from the standpoint of providing for yourself and your family and having that opportunity to do that, if and when the situation arises again, could be very appealing. And so I think that that's a great opportunity for us to recruit new people to the sport. And as we do that, I think that, you know, they're going to come to appreciate uh, a lot of the other aspects of the hunt, you know, which is just the, uh, you know, the exercise, the, the closer relationship with nature, the camaraderie with your fellow sportsmen, and, and, and they're going to become, you know, just as much a part of our community as, as we all are. So, so you've got that as well. And then the third piece, right? Uh, the, the, the reactivation, because I think that when you look at what the economy was doing over the last handful of years, right? It's just been getting 
better and better and better to the point for the last year or two, right? The economy has just been absolutely red hot up until this time that the coronavirus hit. So you had you had stock market at all time highs, you had unemployment at all time lows, you had lots of entrepreneurial activity, people starting up their own businesses, things were really hopping. And what you tend to see happen when things are super, super busy at work, uh, some people, they just don't have the time to hunt anymore. And now, we've done a complete 180, right? So now we're talking about a global recession, we're talking about unemployment, possibly uh, spiking up at least temporarily to like depression level highs before things start to head back the other way. And so I think what you're gonna see in addition to these new younger hunters that are gonna come in this year, in addition to these people that may decide to jump into the hunting community from a from a prepper kind of standpoint, a self-reliance preparedness, I think we're also going to see a group of hunters who may be people who have hunted on and off throughout their lifetimes, you know, since they were young, and maybe these are people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s now, and they've just been too busy the last couple of years to hunt, and they haven't bought that hunting license for whatever reason. This is the year they're going to say, I'm going to get back into hunting because A, I have the time, uh, B, you know, I don't have as much money as I used to, but this is a cheap form of, of recreation. This is a cheap opportunity for me to put some food on the table, you know? So I think, you know, as, as terrible as all of this is, uh, you know, I don't think anybody ever wants to repeat this. I, I certainly don't. I know you, you don't want to. Uh, perhaps this is an opportunity hunting as a whole where we can bring some new people into our sport and and then maintain some of that uh, gain as we head into more normal times in the future yeah case in point about um, the the lack of, of available resources ie food um, I keep about a month's worth of mountain house I mean because I use that every fall and so I just always keep it and so right before the start of got really bad I, I went online and went to mountain house and we're sorry three months we're sorry and people had had really zoomed in 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 the into the preppers world if you will now i know there's a lot of hunters who use solo hunters and diy hunters use mountain house or other other products but you know, I've told my whole family, I said, you should have, just go buy, spend a couple hundred dollars, just buy a couple cases of Mountain House or buy the 10, 10 pound bins and have it because it, the, the shelf life is forever. Am I a prepper? No, but I always had that stuff. And I think as a hunter, you've learned over the years, well, you're stockpiling these things because it's going to last. And when you get ready to go, you just get the bin down, okay, I'm going for five days, what do I need? So I've always got backup of food. When you have other food in camp, but I own I always know I have that if I have to spike out or whatever, my jet boil in my mountain house, I'm good to go. And to the point we talked about earlier, I think this situation that we're in is gonna make people think, okay, wait a minute, do I have a jet boil? Can I cook food? Do I have food, and what's the best food to have? It's it's freeze dry because it lasts forever, and it you can buy a 
month's worth of food for less than $500. And, you know, you go to a grocery store every week, that's 200 bucks. So, you know, you just, yep. you just invest some money and do it. And then you've already got it there and it's peace of mind. So then we come to hunting and we go, wait a minute, um, there's bunny rabbits and there's grouse and there's pheasants and there's turkeys and there's, right now it's a huge time for walleyes. The walleyes are spawning, so it's a walleye run. So if you can get on the shore, I know some states don't want you to go in your boat, but we, we won't even go there. But you have the opportunity to go out and forage for walleyes Fishing license is 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is in your state. So now you get walleyes, then you go turkey hunt in your state, and all of a sudden you go, okay, I'm a hunter-gatherer, but I'm providing for my family. And to your mm -hmm. point, I've got the time to do it. And if you make a couple of phone calls, get on social media, there's somebody that will help you do that if you go – I haven't done this for a while. I've never done this, but I need to do this. There's people out there. If somebody contacts me, I'll say, okay, go here. Here's what you do. And, you know, I can't go with you, but I'll tell you exactly where to do, how to do it, when to do it, and and you'll get it done, and you're going to provide for your family. And I like that peace of mind as a hunter. Oh, absolutely. You know, Bruce, uh, of course – uh, right. As, as the editor of Peterson's bow hunting, I'm known as a bow hunter and that's mostly what I do and mostly big game hunting. Um, but do you know what comes to mind during times like this, where you have all this uncertainty, uh, small game all of a sudden takes on a bigger importance when you start to think about the idea of just providing sustenance for yourself and your family, doesn't it? Because, mm -hmm. um, it's a lot easier to go out and get a couple of rabbits or squirrels or something like that than it is to go shoot a deer, you know, every other week or something like that. And uh, just to kind of tell a funny little anecdote uh, along the lines of what you just talked about, do you know what one of the things that I made a special point to stop and get at our local Cabela's as all of this was getting more and more serious, and I kind of had an inkling that that this was coming, you know, and I could see the anxiety levels ratcheting up, and I could see the potential for this kind of a situation. I went to Cabela's, and I spent $13 on a big uh, container of 17 caliber pellets for my air rifle, because I know that when it comes to a sheer value standpoint, there's no cheaper protein available here. I live in you know, Pennsylvania, we've got a lot of hardwoods and squirrels are extremely, extremely plentiful. And I know that with that one $13 canister of pellets and my 17 caliber gamo air rifle, that I could actually provide protein for my family for months if I had to do that. You know, and, and again, thankfully, right, it hasn't come to that. But I like the fact that I know that there's there's some ammunition that's very inexpensive and, and it's never going to go bad. That that can sit in my gun cabinet forever. And if I ever need it, it's there and my air rifle is there and I can put food on the table anytime I have to do that. And what a great peace of mind. And, 
you know, my hunting journey started quite a few years ago when I was 10 years old, but it was grouse, it was rabbits, and it was squirrels. And I helped as a, as a young kid with my 20 grades, pull the hammer back. It was an H.T. Harrington Richards or something, um, 20 gauge single shot, pull the hammer back, pull the trigger. And I provided food for our family. My father worked and I provided rabbits, squirrels and grouse. And we lived on a farm. And so my father worked in the city, but I learned early on and I caught trout and then I caught small game and I'd take it home and I'd dress it. And my mother would get recipes from the neighbors and we cook it and we eat it period yeah and, and and to your point you know about resources you talked about how even if you've never hunted before you can probably find somebody online to help you out and you know same thing as far as uh taking care of these animals that you might take you know if you if you go out and, and kill a rabbit or a squirrel or you catch a couple of walleye or trout or what have you boy youtube makes it really easy, doesn't real it? Real easy. You know, how to clean a fish, how to fillet a fish, how to how to field dress a squirrel, how to skin a rabbit. All that stuff is right there. And then you can just search up for some recipes and 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 you know, I mean, anybody can do this and if you have to, you know, you will. Because I guarantee that every single one of us is gonna do that stuff before we starve to death, you know? Yeah. And and it, it's available. So, you know, throwing positivity, Kristen and I wanted to be positive about this whole thing. So if you're listening to this and saying, gee, they're right, go ahead and find somebody to walk alongside you or re-engage what you already know. Get your old 22 out of the, out of, you know, the, the closet or your shotgun and, you know, check with your state, find out what's legal and, you know, start foraging, you know, become a hunter gatherer and um you know i know a lot of people are growing growing gardens who haven't done gardening in a long time and it's simple you don't have to have a lot of a lot of area you can just have pots and everything a couple of seeds you can grow tomatoes there's a lot of things you can do just on your deck in pots yeah i've seen a lot of people who have gone out and gotten chickens during this too people are yep. getting because because typically this time of the year is when your uh, your tractor supplies and your other farm and feed stores around the country are doing their spring chick days. And so you can put an order in, you know, and get a dozen chicks. And then when they come in, right, of course you pick those up. So I've seen people building chicken coops and things like that. And again, it's all, it's all connected, right? I mean, those are the same people who are gonna consider becoming hunters or the people who want to have those chickens so that they have a supply of eggs and things like that. So it is, it's an absolutely great opportunity for us to reach out to people and, and maybe they're going to see us in a bit of a different light, you know, not these kooky uh, crazies who are just out there killing for fun, but all of a sudden it's going to make a lot more sense. Like, Oh, you know, you guys have full freezer over there. Hey, maybe this is an opportunity. Here's a thought. You, you live in uh a suburban neighborhood and, and maybe there's only a couple other hunters in the whole neighborhood how about get some venison or elk or or walleye fillets out of that freezer and and head over to a neighbor's house and share some of that 
there's an opportunity to make an impact on somebody during this time, isn't it? Where say, hey, I've got I've got extra, I've got more than I need. Let me share with you, and 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 you know, it's my it's my pleasure to do that because um, you know this is a way for me to 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 help take care of my community. One thing we mentioned we're going to do a segue here that um, right now manufacturers and all our local mom and pops, even Cabela's or Bass Pro, but mom and pop uh, stores, they put their orders in for their uh, equipment uh, last winter, you know, last fall, all the all the shows. And all of a sudden now, um, we don't know where that supply chain is. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's very, very interesting. And it's something that I'm pretty close to uh, at the magazine because we work with manufacturers all the time throughout the year because we're constantly getting product in to test and evaluate and sharing that with our readers. One thing that I can tell you is that over the last month, I've been in touch with multiple companies, whether that's major bow manufacturers, uh, bow hunting accessory manufacturers, uh, apparel manufacturers, you name it. Most of these companies, because of mandates from the governors in the various states, are either shut down completely, reduced to a skeleton crew, or in some cases, these companies have repurposed their operations to produce things that are needed during this pandemic. So you've got, you know, some backpack manufacturers that have switched over to making uh, protective face masks. Uh, you've got, um, you know, other companies that might be making hand sanitizer and, and that sort of thing. So regardless, right, bottom line, whether you're shut down, whether you're making other things, whether you're just sort of barely maintaining a skeleton crew, there's nothing like we would normally have in terms of the manufacturing. And when this is over, whenever this is over, it's not like all these companies are just going to announce a day and tell everyone to come back to work on Tuesday and we'll pick right up where we left off because, you know, if you need uh, raw materials, if you need, you know, plastics, metals, fasteners, you name it. Who knows where all that stuff is at this point because the entire global supply chain has been disrupted. You talked about retailers putting in orders, say at the SHOT Show or the ATA Show, right, for product that they want to have this summer uh, to sell to people in advance of hunting season. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the manufacturers as well because think about the manufacturer who goes to the SHOT Show or the ATA Show or another trade show and they're showing all these products most of the the new products that are shown at those shows the manufacturers are actually showing prototypes or pre-production models that demonstrate what the product is going to be like but then they've contracted to either get the raw materials they need to manufacture those final products at their factories or they've actually outsourced manufacturing, right, overseas. And so they've sent a huge check to a, to a factory in China or, or, you know, Taiwan or wherever. And they're waiting now for that 
uh, product to be built, placed in a shipping container, and arrive in the United States with the idea, right, as they're taking orders from all these retailers, we're going to have this product by May 1st or June 1st. And so we'll turn around and get that out to all of the retailers so that during the summer buying season leading up to hunting season, people can go get those products. Well, I have a feeling, unfortunately, that what we're going to see through no fault whatsoever of these manufacturers is that there are a whole bunch of new for 2020 products that are going to become new for 2021 products because they're simply not going to be built, or if they are, they're simply not going to arrive on retail shelves in time to be meaningfully in existence for this year. So I really think that from a product development standpoint, this coronavirus thing is almost gonna set the entire outdoor industry back like a year. So all these things that companies were planning to introduce this year, they're probably going to carry a lot of it over to 2021 because if you had something brand new this year and you barely were able to get any of it out to the marketplace, you're not going to have the money to reinvest in updating again and having a whole new collection of products for 2021 when you never even were able to sell any of your 2020 stuff. So from a product development standpoint and a product availability standpoint, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the retail landscape looks like this year. This is Bruce Hutchin with a special message about my relationship with Burner.com. Burner HD is a non-lethal pistol that's available now on the web at Burner.com. If you go to the web and use my promo code LTD2020, you're going to get a 10% discount on all Burner products. So again, Let's Talk Deer has a discount promo code LTD2020 for all burner product. Go check them out. They're great. Yeah, and I I think about how many guns have been sold in this country, and I don't know what configuration, you know, the firearms are, but we know the tremendous run on that and tremendous run on ammunition. How is it in the archery world? I know, you know, that's your world. Well, the firearms industry is interesting because you know, the last couple of years wasn't actually that strong for the firearms industry. And there were quite a few gun manufacturers that were doing deep discounting to move product. And so there was actually a lot of built up inventory, I think in the gun supply chain, finished guns, I mean, sitting in warehouses. And, I, and, and as we've all seen, right, the, the background checks since this coronavirus thing has come along have been like through the roof. Coronavirus, I will say this, Bruce, this is my humor segment for today's podcast. The coronavirus is the best gun salesman since President <laughs> Obama. Okay. Yes, amen to that. Agreed. So, so, so the firearms manufacturers uh, have actually been, been blessed by this, I, I think, in, in a strange way, because they've been able to move a lot of inventory that they've been sitting on. And, um, you know, it, it's been good for them. And I think that product availability is probably still in pretty good shape there because there was, there was inventory available for demand that wasn't there. And so now the demand is meeting with the inventory and I think things are moving. On the archery side of things, I think that, you know, it's funny, one thing that we joke around about at the office is we realize that bow hunting as a community 
relative to gun hunting is, you know, we're just an order of magnitude smaller. In other words, bow hunting is like a tennis ball and gun hunting is like one of those giant beach balls that people bat around at the baseball games, you know? And so we, we say we're like a boil on gun hunting's butt. You know what I mean? We're just like a, we're like a zit on the back of gun hunting, you know? All yeah, the but ATA is a, is a small family, though, in a huge industry, which it's a billion-dollar industry, archery is. But you go to ATA, and, you know, it's it's a small community. It really yeah. is. Oh, it's so, so much smaller. And so, you know, the reason I, I bring that up is to provide some context where, you know, while, while you know, like a... a ammunition manufacturer like think about federal ammunition and how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of rounds you know they must produce each year and then step that down to a a, a family-owned broadhead manufacturer you know they may only produce i don't know a couple hundred thousand broadheads a year maybe and right. so and and the way that they're set up right is they order inventory every year and they probably tie up most of the operating capital that they have to get the raw materials or to order the manufacturing. And then when they get that inventory, they sell it out to the retailers and they replenish their cash supplies and that does them for next year. You know, So when you have an interruption in that, that, that kind of brings a company of that size and scope to sort of a standstill where if you're sitting on 100,000 broadheads now, you've spent all your money to produce them. Now you've got them. But if you don't have them at the right time, you know, you can sell a lot of broadheads in August. But how many broadheads can you sell in February? None, really. And, no. and, and even no, because even if I need broadheads, I'm not buying them in February. What's the point? As a consumer, I'm going to wait until two weeks before opening day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I know so, what I need. I know the grains and everything. I know exactly what I need. So it's just, yeah. oh, I got three in my quiver. And yeah, I'm going to get three more. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, so it's, it's just uh, for the archery industry, you know, it, it's different. And then the other thing for the archery industry, you know, when you're the smaller you are, the less margin for error you have. So I know w what you see happen is there, there are really two things that happen in, uh, this is all business, but of course I see it in the archery industry because that's where I'm at. When a company comes out with something under normal conditions, okay, normal business conditions, they have to make a forecast. Okay, we've got, let's say we've got a new bow site this year and we think it's really neat and we think people are really gonna love this thing but how many people are really gonna buy it? In other words, how many of these things are we gonna order? Because if we order not enough, right, we've got all this demand and we can't make the money that people wanna buy, but if we order too many, then we've got all this stuff sitting here, right? And so the companies have to try and figure out now, that's hard to do, by the way, forecasting, you know, that's hard to do for any business. And even under normal or good business conditions, now you take this coronavirus situation and you say, okay, how many people do we think are going to want to buy that new $1,000 bow, you know, this year as opposed to a normal year? And I don't know what the answer is to that, but these companies, as they come back online, they're going to have to make some hard decisions about how much of our manufacturing capacity do we run? Do we just bring everybody back? and try to get back to our historical production levels? Or 
In some cases, do we feel we need to ramp up production? Or in other cases, do we feel like maybe we're only gonna ask half of our employees to come back because we really don't know what business climate is gonna be like here for the rest of this year. So I, I certainly don't have the answers to the questions, but I know that these are the kind of questions that people in our industry are dealing with and there's no easy answer. There really aren't and we're not gonna know because we've already seen the misinformation about modeling of the coronavirus and that the world is loaded with that. And so now you and I own, own uh, Kristen and Bruce's archery site company and we sell 10,000 units a, a year. That's what we've sold in our little niche. At ATA, people come in, we know we're gonna send 10,000 units. This year, we don't know if we're gonna sell 1,000 units. We really don't because it's, you know, it's mid-level, but uh, it's a couple hundred bucks and you know, are people gonna wanna have our upgrade? I don't know. Getting back to your point, you know, the 2020 model and marketing always sells the new things, you know that, the new sexy things that I gotta have it. Mm -hmm. And you know, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. But folks, you know, think about what we're talking about here and don't go into your retailer and say, how come you don't have this? How come you don't have that? Okay, make a friend of them. Be their best friend. Just like I have a, a local coffee roaster here and I sent out a big um, post for him. You know, buy locally, you know, support support your local people and buy what they have um, if you can. If you can't buy anything, certainly don't. And, you know, don't spend money that you don't have. That's the other thing, you know, be really careful how you use that your credit card today, please. I well, I'd say that I, to I everybody. Think, I think you touch on something important though, and I I probably should have mentioned this already, but you know, if you're a bow hunter, but of course you're talking to all kinds of hunters. If you're a hunter, period. Well, bow hunters mostly. Eighty percent of okay. my audience are bow hunters. Okay, but I mean, if you're a hunter, you're an angler. And I don't know what it's like in your area, but I imagine it's much the same. A lot of our local pro shops also offer bait and tackle because that's a nice seasonal complement to the spring when they- Margins are high, busy. high margin. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you can afford it, go out of your way to go get a, a dozen minnows or a couple dozen night crawlers or some pack of hooks from your local tackle shop and make a point of maybe calling the local pro shop. Maybe you don't need a dozen arrows, but maybe you could use a half a dozen just to have in reserve. And maybe you just get a half a dozen arrows and have the local pro shop fletch those up for you this year because that guy probably has seen his income cut in a quarter or a 10th of what it normally would be for the last couple of months. And if you want him to be there so that when you accidentally cut your string in November and your rut is in jeopardy because you need bow repairs ASAP, it's gonna take all of us helping these guys to keep it together so that they're still here for us you know, in the future. And so let's all show our support for one another by supporting our local sporting goods stores. 
and saying that you have a special now that you mentioned on Facebook Live. So, oh yeah, you can also time. yes, yes, <laughs> you can also support your favorite bow hunting magazine. You know, it's funny, Bruce, because people think, um, you know, if you're on an outdoor TV show per se, or if you're the editor of a hunting magazine, that it's you know some big big thing. But the truth of the matter is, right, really, I work for the bow hunters of America who subscribe to the magazine, and I have the privilege of creating content along with the rest of our team, uh, you know, to educate you, to entertain you. Um, and without you, right, we can't do what we do. During this coronavirus period, uh, we have actually made a decision to offer uh, a quarantine special, if you will. And so Peterson's Bowhunting and actually a number of other magazines that are published by Outdoor Sportsman Group, we're offering $5 subscriptions. So the $5 footlong worked so well for Subway, you know, for all those years. We're doing $5 subscriptions. So for five bucks, basically the, the, the cost of one overpriced coffee, you can get an entire year of Peterson's Bowhunting delivered to your door. And that's actually the lowest price that we've ever offered for a subscription. And I don't know how long they're gonna keep it in place, but they did say it's gonna be a limited time deal. So if you're, if you're not a subscriber, but you're a bow hunter, and uh, maybe you've read our magazine in the past, or you thought about signing up, just head on over to bowhuntingmag.com. There's a button right there on our homepage. You can sign up. And uh, honestly, most of us uh, waste $5 on all kinds of stuff uh, all the time. I mean, you'll never miss the five bucks, but I think you'll enjoy and appreciate getting that magazine in your mailbox every month. So thank you for the shameless plug there, uh, the Shameless Bruce. plug. <laughs> I want to make sure we get it out. We talked about, we're going to segue, folks. We're, we're talking about the, the fall season. We already know where we are uh, with the uh, lack of non-residents being able to travel and be able to hunt. And I had three turkey hunts that are squashed and that's okay. Um, Cause one I'm at risk, so I shouldn't be traveling. It's just, I shouldn't be doing it. And so that's okay. But we talked about the opportunities that now are at hand for people that are thinking, Hey, I'd like to go out West. I missed, I missed, um, you know, in Colorado, you had to have it in by April 7th this year, and I missed a draw, but leftover tags. Let's talk about that opportunity that is for everybody. Well, yeah, you know, we talked, I uh, can't remember if it was during the Facebook Live or before we even started, but uh, I had mentioned to you, for example, I just drew a really good elk tag for Montana. And this was a tag that in the past had taken me five years to draw. And this this year, I was able to draw this tag with no points. So that was like, wow, you know, I really got lucky. Um, but before I submitted my application, I was talking to the outfitter that I hunt with out there. And he mentioned And who is that? that? Might as well give him a uh, plug. Might as well give Rich Schneider a plug, my good buddy, Rich Schneider, with J&J &J Guide Service. So you can Google J&J &J Guide Service in Montana. 
find Rich's website, but yeah, he's spectacular. But I was talking to Rich and I said, you know, I'm thinking about putting in for this tag again. I know I don't have really good chance to draw it, but what do I have to lose, you know? And he mentioned that he had been in contact with the Montana Outfitters Association and he had been told, and this was only a few days before the deadline, that non-resident applications were down like 40% this year. So that kind of made, you know, my eyes light up because I was like, that means I've got better odds, you know, to draw this. So I think that what you've seen because of all this uncertainty created by the virus is most of your Western states that do these limited entry draws have all seen a significant decrease in applications. And so that's kind of having like a one-two effect for us as hunters. For those who are entering the draws, it means you have a better chance to actually get those tags that you want. And then for those who haven't entered the draws but might still be interested in going to some of these states to hunt, you might find that 2020 is a bit of an anomaly in that there are gonna be a lot of leftover licenses in states and in units where normally you can't even get a license if you enter the lottery. So this is gonna be a year if you are one of those people who you know, travels regularly, but you've been a bit up in the air this year, or if you're just somebody who's always been thinking for years and years, you know, someday I'm gonna to go to Colorado and hunt elk. Someday I'm gonna to go to Wyoming and hunt antelope. Someday I'm gonna do this, do that. 2020 might be your year. And so if you've had the hunt that you've been interested in, I would say um, go to that state's DNR website, figure out when the draw results are gonna be announced and see what the leftover status is for the areas and the species that you wanna hunt, because you may just find that this is a year that you could get that tag that you didn't think you were ever gonna get. And the other thing we talked about is that um, there's a lot of people that have contracted with, with an outfitter, paid a deposit, and realized there's no way I'm gonna be able to make the hunt. It's just, you know, not going to be able to do it so they talk to the outfitter and i think to a man to a woman they're going to say okay come next year um, they're going to give them you know the opportunity so that that leaves some unused uh inventory for all these outfitters and we're talking a lot of outfitters i know people that were supposed to go to alaska uh, brown bear hunting kodiak island and that's a pricey hunt and that got shut down so everything got moved to next year and then there's all those people that they can't hunt. They physically can't hunt bear, even though, you know, the tags were available. But you come to the, we were talking about Kansas or Iowa, you know, even Colorado or any other state where you say, you know, I paid my deposit to hunt Kansas and I was all set up for the draw. Now I can't go. So that gives you, Kristen, the opportunity possibly, if you do draw that Kansas tag that to reach out and say, hey, I got a tag, what do you think? And, you know, I'd rather have a couple thousand dollars in my pocket rather than zero. That's my thinking. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. Here, let me give you an example from my own family, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. Uh, my wife and my two kids, right, we were going to L.A. this summer for vacation. You know, we were gonna to go to Los Angeles and go see Hollywood and spend some time on the beaches, head up to Malibu. 
uh, spend a few days at Disneyland, right? The whole, the whole perfect uh, family vacation. Well, is there any of that happening now, Bruce? No, right? We had, I had plane took tickets booked. I had uh, amusement park tickets booked. I had hotels booked. And what happened, right? All these providers, you know, your hotels, your, your uh, attractions, your airlines, they've all offered sort of unlimited flexibility right now because they realize that everyone's plans have been turned into chaos, right? So I've been able to get refunds on all of those things. I also would have had the option to reschedule all those things and postpone to 2021. And that's the same thing that outfitters are doing. They're giving everybody, you know, a little bit more flexibility or a lot more flexibility than you normally might have when it comes to these hunts. And so I know an awful lot of outfitters have rolled things forward. They're gonna work with their existing clients to accommodate everybody and make sure, you know, that they're able to come and, and do those hunts when it makes sense for them. And to your point, you know, that's going to open up opportunities this fall, I think, uh, in, if, you're, if you're willing to get online, do some research, find some tags, and then identify outfitters in those areas. I think what you're going to find is a lot of these outfitters that normally might be booked up two, three, four years in advance are going to have some openings this fall because of exactly what you said, Bruce, and you may be able to negotiate uh, some pretty good deals on hunts this year if you're willing to be flexible about exactly where you want to go and when you want to go. Um, you know, you, you may want to go the first week of November, but the outfitter might tell you, hey, I'm booked that week, but I've got two openings the last week of October, and, and I'll give them to you for, you know, half off or something like that, then jump on it, you know. So, yeah, there's there's going to be some opportunities out there for sure. So people, if you're able, do some planning right now. As soon as you're hearing this podcast, go, dang, that's right. Call up a buddy or, or do solo, whatever you need to do. But it could be something that you wouldn't be able to do. You might have the opportunity to do. That's what Christian and I are, are sharing with you. I want to talk right now about here I am, the new hunter, or as you said earlier, you know, you're going to use turkey season to kind of scout out some new places because there might be some opportunities to hunt locally and you can't go to different states. So right now, I'm telling everybody that I talk to, you better make sure, one, you've got land on the permission where you used to hunt and then find out some different areas. And if you haven't been a hunter you better get onyx maps whatever get on google earth figure out okay what do i want to hunt and put boots on the ground and go start knocking on some doors or contacting people because you're going to find it's going to be extremely competitive to find private land now the wildlife management areas um i'm going to think that they're going to see a huge increase in in people your thoughts well, I definitely, I do. I definitely think there's going to be more people uh, out there uh, in the local, the local woods. Um, you know, yeah, the public land is likely to be uh, more pressured. The competition for the private land. 
I think you know your 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 advice as far as permissions is always valid, probably even more so now. If you're not making sure that you have a good relationship with those people who own properties where you have permission to hunt, you know, shame on you. I, I would like to think that every single one of those folks is on your your Christmas card list or you're making sure that they get a hindquarter off of that you know, deer that you took there last year, or you've brought over some, uh, I have a local butcher that I use who's great. He's a, he's a Mennonite and he, he does a great job and he makes all kinds of stuff. He makes a sweet bologna that is just out of this world. And I always make sure that uh, uh, this one gentleman who owns uh, one of my favorite hunting spots, I always bring him over uh, a nice sweet bologna. And, and, you know, it's a small gesture, but he really appreciates it. And that's a very, very small price to pay for knowing that I'm going to be welcome there again when I show up next year and I want to go hunt. Um, you know, a big thing about about hunting, especially on public land, and we write about this all the time in Peterson's Bull Hunting, uh, a big part of hunting on public land is not only hunting the game that you're after, but hunting the other hunters, right? And knowing what they're doing, where they're hunting, and how their activity is likely to impact game movement, and how can you set yourself up to take advantage of that? So yeah, that's gonna be more critical this year too. So the more time that you can get out there scouting now, whether that's on public land, figuring out maybe ways to get in a little bit more deep, uh, maybe ways to access some pieces of public ground that might not be quite as accessible. And if it's private land, then yeah, shoring up those existing permissions, uh, maybe trying to, to make some contacts or do some networking to get some new land. I mean, that's never a bad idea, but it's an even better idea if that's gonna be you know, they say never put all your eggs in one basket, Bruce, but this year, you know, close to home might be the only basket that you have. So if you're going to have to put all your eggs in there, make sure you've got as many eggs in there as you can have. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I might notice it just be, you know, be really flexible and be proactive and start today. I mean, just start today and, and doing everything that you just said um, and, and do it. Because you might find, oh, I'm sorry, my cousin, my other family members haven't been hunting in a while, and all of a sudden, you know, they've asked, you know, they're coming back, and we're going to hunt. We're going to drive deer this year. I can remember back when I started, we used to have 20, 30 people driving deer and 10 standards, and we'd, we'd just hunt the whole ridge, and that might be five different farms. Well, times have changed now, but I, I can see us getting back to deer drives on the farm, you know, the the home farm um this year where we're gonna we're gonna shoot a lot of does because we're gonna shoot a lot of meat because people are gonna say you know i want to take a couple of deer home and our farm can can support that but given that if you haven't paved the way really starting today you might find yourself left out that's my point i wanted to make that's a good point Makes sense. Well, we've been going for about an hour here, Kristen. This has been, you know, super. You know, we had about 15 minutes on Facebook Live. Folks, go to Bruce Hutchin on Facebook and um, just listen to it. And then uh, this podcast will be up the 1st of May. And um, thank you so much for taking time out. And I know this is a good good break for you, good break for me. 
from our quarantine madness, that's for sure. Well, it was a good break, and the time always goes by quickly. I need to uh, get back to editing uh, some articles for our July issue, Bruce. So this was a great break, and I always enjoy spending time with you. I wish you and your grandson great success this year, and, you know, if if he can get uh, some good experiences under his belt and hopefully have the chance to fill a tag, I know that that's going to be something that neither one of you will, will ever forget, that's for sure. Yeah, we're, we're going to go up to Wyoming to a, a, a ranch, uh, center of the nation, and um, with Guy and Shanna Howell, and the great people up there in in the northeast corner of Wyoming, and uh, they graciously said, "Hey, come on up and and let's get your grandson his first uh, antelope." So that's where we're heading, and yeah, it's 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 memories of, about to happen. That's for darn sure. Kristen, one more thing before you go: How do people get in touch with you? And then we'll close the show. Oh yeah, absolutely. If people would like to connect with me, uh. Certainly feel free to do so uh, either on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, you can find me on both of those platforms with a really simple handle. It's Seaberg Bowhunt, and you'll find me right away on either platform uh, at that. And, of course, Peterson's Bowhunting we've already mentioned. So if you want more information about the magazine, just jump on our uh, homepage at bowhuntingmag.com or follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and we'd love to have you part of our community there. So thanks again, Bruce. Thank you, sir.